Uh, one of the reasons why we thought that message was important uh, is uh, because of the pig story. If you missed the pig story, you need to know about the pig story. Uh, in fact, uh, I was looking, uh, one of my emails, John and, and Lynn sent me a link. So if you were here last week and you heard the story about the pig who flew across the country, first class, uh, on uh, U.S. Airways, uh, you can could, you could check out the website. I'll give it to you later uh, if you doubt me. You know, uh, the, the amazing thing about the story is n- not only did it really happen that a pig, 300-pound pig, flew in first class, uh, but that what was so amazing about it is that as I'm telling this story, Lynn, uh, John's wife, John, where are you, John? John, John's wife, Lynn, stood up as, as I'm finishing the story and said, and, and his name, the pig's name is Freedom, and it's John's relatives that flew first class with the 300-pound pig. And it's like amazing, right? And, 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 and even, you know, what, what is so uh, disconcerting to me or, or just hurts my heart so much is that so many of you, I found that afterwards, didn't believe the story as though, as though I would make up a story, you know? Uh, even some of our own staff members, I won't mention their names, Joey and Ryan, but <laughs> one said, you know, there's no way that that's true. And, and, and the other one, the other one thought that, that I put Lynn up to it, that she was a part of this ruse, you know, that I was uh, perpetrating. And, and so I, I hope, I hope now that I'll have a little bit more capital with you folks believing me when I tell you a story. Because I'm going to tell you a story right now that you may not believe, but it's, it's, it was actually printed in the Joplin, Missouri Globe. Okay, uh, it's a company uh, that wanted to just you know be gracious to their employees, you know, just just make life a little bit easier. And maybe some of you uh, work for companies just like this that that they designated Fridays as casual. Uh, dress down Fridays. You know what I'm talking about? All right. So th- th- these are uh, some of the memos that appeared in the Missouri Globe uh, as a result of this company having this desire to be gracious to their employees. Memo number one, effective immediately. The company is adopting Fridays as casual day so that all employees can express themselves. Okay. Memo number two. And this came over a period of a number of days. Memo number two, spandex and leather micro and mini skirts are not appropriate attire for casual days. Neither are string ties, rodeo belt buckles, and moccasins. Now remember, this is, this is Missouri, right? Okay. Uh, memo number three, casual day refers to dress only, not attitude. When planning Friday's wardrobe, remember image is the key to our success. Okay. Follow along with me. Memo number four. A seminar on how to dress for casual day will be held on Friday at 4 p.m. in the cafeteria. Fashion show to follow. Attendance is mandatory. I love it. Attendance is mandatory. Okay. Memo number five. As an outgrowth of of Friday's seminar, a 14-member casual day task force has been appointed to prepare guidelines for proper dress. Memo number six. The casual day task force has completed a 30-page manual 
A copy of Relaxing Dress Without Relaxing Company Standards has been mailed to each employee. Please review the chapter, You Are What You Wear, (laughs) and consult the home casual versus business casual checklist before leaving for work each Friday. If there's any doubts about the appropriateness of an item of clothing, contact your task force representative before 7 a.m. on Friday. Memo number seven, and perhaps the best one. Because of a lack of participation, casual day has been discontinued effective immediately. Now, whether that really happened or not, I don't know, but it was really published in the Missouri Joplin Globe. And, 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 and what, a, what a great illustration of, of what men can do to mess up a party. You know, I want to talk to you this morning that life's too short to miss the party. Life's too short to miss the party. Talk about dress down. There is nobody. The ultimate dress down day is the son of God coming from heaven, being clothed in humility and in the garments of a servant. But not only that, but I think that Jesus came dressed for a party. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Jesus came dressed for a party. But when men kind of get involved, it kind of messes everything up. They become party poopers, or as Arnold would say, the party pooper. <laughs> In the film, The Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. It was a great film. Anybody see that? Yeah, really. It was an awesome film. There was a character by the name of Ellis Redding. His name was called Red for short. When he was a teenager, he committed a senseless, violent act. And as a result of that, spent his entire adult life, the last 40 years of his adult life in prison, in incarceration. He became institutionalized. And the character in the film, his heart's desire was to be released. And finally, when he reached that ultimate desire of being released, he didn't know how to handle the freedom. He couldn't break the habit of asking permission to use the men's room. He thought about ways of of breaking his parole so that he would go back into the security of what he knew, even though it was incarceration. It was safe for him. Freedom for him became a scary thing. And I want you to know that people that are caught up in legalism, people that, that get involved in this legalistic mindset, also find grace a very scary thing. They, they would rather live within the the, the confines within the walls of do's and don'ts and, and, of, and of, you know, black and white. And so I just want to tell you that the scripture says in Galatians 5.1, it says, for this purpose, the Son of God came. He, he came. It was for freedom that Jesus has set us free. No longer to be entangled in a yoke of bondage or slavery. Uh, I want you to think about that. This morning, the absolute uniqueness of Jesus coming dressed for a party. Uh, my wife is doing uh, the in her in her Bible study at, at Smithtown Christian School. She, she's teaching the book of John. And I love the book of John. The book of John is is so different than the other four Gospels. The other four Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, because the stories are similar. 
But John's gospel is completely unique. In fact, there are uh, chapters 13 through 17 are all taking place in one conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And John's purpose in writing his gospel is to show the divine nature of the Son of God. That he, he doesn't talk about his birth. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him and for him. And I just find it absolutely amazing that, that John starts uh, listing the miracles of Jesus. There were seven miracles of Jesus, right? No? Grandma taught you that, right? But the first one that, that he identifies, and, and he says, and this was the first of the miracles or the signs which Jesus did, and his disciples began to believe upon him and he, as he manifested his glory. Important. First miracle. First miracle of Jesus, as you probably well know, took place at a party. By divine design, I believe it was, it was John's intention that we would know that the first miracle sufficient enough for Jesus to, to, to show forth his glory took place at a celebration, at a party where there was laughter and where there was rejoicing and, and where there was music. And ha- have you ever... Have you ever realized how many of the stories that Jesus told, how many of the parables center around a banquet, a, a wedding, a feast, a celebration? It's amazing how many, uh, when you consider that, that Jesus came, he came, he came to introduce us to a celebration. He, he, he came to declare that God is not angry with us. That he did not come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That the Lord your God is in your midst and he is mighty to save. That the Lord your God is in your midst and he will rejoice over you with singing. That, that the creator of the universe comes and he comes with a song. And it's a song of love. And it's a song of the reassurance that God is for you, for you and not against you. Some people, however, are going to miss the party. And I believe that the reason why, principally, that people miss the celebration of the gospel of grace is because of this legalistic spirit that they develop. And when I mean that they have a legalistic spirit or a legalistic mindset, I'm not talking about a demon. I'm talking about an attitude that permeates your way of thinking, that prevents you from entering into the celebration of God. I want you to... Think about this definition. Put it up on the screen, I believe. I believe I have that for you. The definition of a religious spirit is this. A religious spirit honors what God did in the past, in centuries before, while it wars and resists what God is doing right now, what God is presently doing. Let me give you an example of of what I'm talking about. Moses for the last several thousand years, the Jewish people have revered Moses and honored Moses and, and, and esteemed Moses as one of the greatest leaders of, of Israel's history. But at the time, Moses was resisted and he was warred against and he was rebelled against and, and people actually talked about stoning Moses. Honoring what God did way in the past, but resisting what God wants to do right now in the present. And I tell you, I, I think that, that legalism 
is, is, is spiritual, emotional, and I believe it's even mental illness. Let me give you a couple of examples of, of why I say that. Uh, in Tel Aviv, outside of Tel Aviv, in a small town outside of Tel Aviv, a very orthodox, strict orthodox uh, settlement there in Israel today, uh, a fire broke out. And it was on the Sabbath. And uh, only under the circumstances of an emergency could you use a telephone because, because using a telephone on the Sabbath would be considered work. But if it was an emergency, uh, you, could, you could get around that. But a rabbi had to declare it as an emergency. <clears throat> so a, a rabbi was contacted and uh, it took 30 minutes for the rabbi to contemplate and to muse over the situation. And in the process, three apartments completely destroyed. The belongings of, of three different families completely wiped out because of the deliberation of... I mean, any reasonable person would, would, would tell you, hey, this is an emergency. You know, most of the, the problems that Jesus had, he had with religious people. They would accuse him of breaking the, the Sabbath, of healing on the Sabbath. And you remember one occasion when Jesus just, just, I just imagine he was just so angry at the hardness of men's hearts because there was a man with a wither, withered hand, a crippled hand, who, who Jesus was, you know, he was about ready to heal this guy. And Jesus wanted to, you know, let them know, you guys don't get it. You don't get it that, that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made. God instituted the Sabbath. He created that rest for, for you, for, for your enjoyment, not the other way around. And he looked at the man and said, stretch forth your hand. And, and they got angry. It was one of the reasons why they conspired to kill him because he broke the Sabbath. Or, or on one occasion when his disciples were walking through a, a, a wheat field and they were hungry and they pulled off some of the, the kernels of, of corn and they were rubbing it in, in their hands and they were popping the kernels in their mouth as they're, as they're walking to the next destination. And they're accused of, 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 of working on the Sabbath. I mean, it got so strict that the Pharisees had added so many rules and so many laws to, to, to the law of God to help people interpret what the laws are, like that memo that I was reading earlier, that, that if you had an injury, you could not walk with a cane on the Sabbath because any indention in, in, into the ground might be construed as plowing. So you couldn't walk if you had a cane or a walking stick. I mean, I could give you another half a dozen examples like that of just, just I mean, losing all sense of reason and understanding because of a legalistic mind. But I'll tell you what, it gets even worse than that. It gets even to the point of, 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 of the loss of life because of legalism. I was, I was reading even, even no, no reading, I heard yesterday, even the NFL, uh, there was a football player who was injured. I think he probably was knocked unconscious, taken off the field, and uh, the NFL fined him $10,000 because during the game on the sidelines, he called his wife to say, honey, everything's okay. I'm all right. And so they fined him $10,000 for breaking the rules of using a cell phone during the game because they said rules are rules. In Chicago, a 15-year-old boy was playing hoops with his buddy, playing hoops in the playground. 
And these three guys come in, three gangbangers come, come around and for no reason whatsoever shoot one of the boys in the abdomen and he's bleeding out. His friend panics and, and, and picks him up and begins to run to a nearby hospital and runs as, as, as much as he could. I think he probably laid him down at around 30 feet before the entrance of the hospital. He ran into the hospital and said, please come out and help my friend. He's been shot. He's bleeding. And they said, we can't. The policy is that we can only help patients who come in to the, to, to the emergency room. He pleaded with the police officer, and the police officer called for, he called for, listen, he called for an ambulance. And in the interim, while the ambulance did not come, he finally relented and gave in, picked up the boy, carried him into the ER, but by then it was too late. The hospital administration at first vehemently backed up the decisions made by the ER doctors because that's the policy, the rules are the rules, until the outcry of the the community was so severe that they changed their policy. Now that hospital in Chicago is able to help people even if they haven't made it into the ER on their own. Listen, life's too short to miss the party. Life's too short to miss the party. Last week, I, I, I told you a story from Luke chapter 16, uh, a story that Jesus told about an unjust servant who was commended by his master because he made plans for the future. And, and, and that story was told at a party, and it was told on the tail end of what Jesus said was a celebration. It, it was, in other words, in one of the most famous of all the stories that Jesus ever told, the, the prodigal son, Jesus is at a party, at a celebration. It's a, it's, a, it's a farewell bash for a guy by the name of Matthew who had forsaken or gave up his lucrative you know, occupation as a tax collector because Jesus had, had called him to join him in his administration in the kingdom of God in the, in the, in, in the, as, a Messiah, as the Messiah. And uh, Matthew just probably was ecstatic. And, and we know that in, in, in this party, there was Matthew and his friends called sinners. Uh, there was Jesus and his disciples and also at the party. And they somehow seemed to get in there like cockroaches with the Pharisees. And they're there. And you know what? I'm sure that, that Matthew was ecstatic and, and his friends were ecstatic because they probably thought if, 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 if this Messiah, Jesus, is the Messiah and he can call Matthew to become a part of what he's doing, then there's hope for us too. But you know what? I think probably there were some people that weren't so happy at that party. There, there were probably some, some real sour pusses at the party. Uh, what I would call lemon suckers, you know, that they've been sucking on a lemon. And so I wanted to share a story, a personal story with you, and I'm sure that, put your arm around him, sweetheart, if you can, because I don't want him to be embarrassed. But, but Papa's going to tell a story about my number one grandson. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, how, how cute is that? Could you put up that picture? Okay? I mean, how cute is that? <laughs> He's shaking his head. Don't be mad at me. I love you, buddy. I tell him all the time, man, you are so handsome, you know. But he was about like four four years old at the time. We went out to uh, 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 the Outback 
and we were having dinner. And you know, sometimes when you ask for, you know, like lemon for your water, you know, so the, the way they brought a, a little dish with lemon legend. Uh, that, I just reversed those two. Lemon wedges. What did I say? Wedge? I can't even do that again if I try. All right. So, 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 for some, for some compelling reason, Noah picked up one of the lemon wedges, and he just began to eat it. And I'll never forget the expression on his face when his eyes, his eyes squinted and his lips puckered, and and he went like this, and his whole body just began to shake. It was like the cutest thing. But what was so amazing about it, and why I'll never forget it, was that. He went back a second and a third time and did it a third time. And every time he did it, he, he just was so cute. But I got to tell you, those bearded, lemon-sucking Pharisees, they were anything but cute. But it didn't deter Jesus from, from being in the midst of that party and from really being the life of the party. He says, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. They that are whole need not a physician except those that are sick. And that is such good news for us because there's none righteous and there's none perfect but the Son of God himself. Even the Apostle Paul could say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Even one of the most religious persons who finally had their eyes open came to that realization, I am what I am by the grace of God. He even saw himself as being, being the chiefest of sinners. Not was, but was in the present tense, Paul said, the chiefest of sinners. But the mission of Jesus was to come and to, and to in the midst of that party-like atmosphere, to reveal the love of the Father, to make known the Father's not angry with you, that my Father wants you to come into his kingdom to be a part of his kingdom. So Jesus is telling this story. He's telling this story. We've all heard it so many times. And at the end of the story, they knew, they, these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders knew that Jesus was talking about them. Why? Because here he, he was a feast. There was a festival that was taking place. They killed the fatted calf. There was music going on in the house. There was merriment that was taking place. But the elder brother refused to join the party. He was angry with his brother. He was angry with his father, disrespectful, dishonoring his father. And that's what Jesus was saying was, you guys are dishonoring me. You're dishonoring my heavenly father. You're being disrespectful by not, by not rejoicing. For what was lost is now found. This, my son, was dead, but now is alive. You don't get it. You don't, you don't value mercy and grace because you don't think you need mercy and grace. It's only those who know that they need mercy and grace who see the true value of just how precious mercy and grace are. Lemon suckers don't get it. They miss the party all the time. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 21, 31. He said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did believe. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. What is Jesus saying? 
He brings up, he brings up John. He says, he says, no matter what kind of move God, the Father, provides for you, you're not going to join the party. John came drinking no wine, and you said that he had a demon. The Son of Man came drinking wine and, and eating, and you called him a drunkard and a glutton. So then Jesus said this. He said, we've piped for you, meaning we've played the flute for you, but you wouldn't dance. And we've, we've mourned for you. We've grieved for you, but you wouldn't, well, you wouldn't weep. In other words, the two ministries, John and Jesus, so opposite of each other. And yet, there's just some people that just won't join in because of that legalistic spirit. No wonder why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of, the, of God's righteousness seek to establish their own righteousness. And here's the, here's the payload. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He's the satisfaction. He's the, he's the termination of the law to everyone who believes. We are no longer under the, the, the law. We're under grace. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He provides for us the righteousness that we could never provide for ourselves. So does that mean that the law is bad and the law is... No, no, Paul says the law is good and the law is holy and the law is spiritual, but the problem is me. I'm sold into, into, into the slavery of sin. The law, he says, has come to reveal our need for a Savior, that we're in desperate situation. My son Anthony, who's teaching children's church right now, when he was about 20 years old, had a terrible accident. Uh, he was on a roof and, and on his way down the ladder, fell off of the ladder. And uh, I was here at the church. I was, it was a Saturday. I was preparing for a wedding that afternoon. Uh, and I got, I got the call that he's in Huntington Hospital. We, my wife and I rushed over to Huntington Hospital. Kelly was there. Uh, my son, Will, was there. We, we, we all went there to the hospital. Uh, he, bro he broke both his elbows. We, we, we talked to the doctor. That he said the x-ray shows, he says, he says one of his, his elbows, is, is so, one of his arms is so bad, it's like a bag of bones. I'm so grateful that the x-ray revealed his brokenness. But the x-ray couldn't heal his brokenness. He needed a physician. And that physician said, you know what? We're going to have to put pins and screws and we're going to have to do, do, do surgery and we're gonna have to, we'll prepare for this tomorrow. And, 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 and you know what? Just like the law, the law reveals our brokenness. But it can't fix our brokenness. We need the divine physician to come and to heal and to mend the brokenness of our heart. And he does that. So what are we saying? Galatians 3.23 says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Prisoners, just like Red was in prison. In prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, our tutor, 
until Christ came. Just like red found freedom really scary. So for some people, they find grace really, really scary. In fact, one of my pet peeves with the 1611 King James translators of the Bible is that when they got to Romans 8 verse 1, where it says, now there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, period. They said, we can't leave it like this. This is is too much freedom. People might think it's a license to sin. So they they pulled out of verse 4 part of the sentence and they included it and they repeated it again in verse 4, but they included that in verse 1. But that's not what the original text or the or the intention of the Holy Spirit was. There is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, period. Verse 4 says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I mean, Paul has given to us enough balance in the Scriptures so that we know. He said it at least three times in the book of Romans. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. And if anybody teaches that, it's okay to sin. You've never, you've never met grace. You've never met Christ, if that's what your thoughts are. Because it's grace that teaches us just the opposite, that empowers us, that enables us to be free from the power of sin. Because how shall we who have been made free from sin live any longer underneath its power? But we understand it's by grace that we're saved through faith. That not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. So where's the balance of that? Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people that is own treasured possession. When you see that, when you see, when you see what Jesus endured, when you see the suffering of the cross, how could you, how could you continue in sin? If, if you can continue in sin with immunity, with, with, with no sense of regret or shame or embarrassment, you've never met the Jesus that I know. For he's come to set us free from the power of sin. Noah, I'm glad you're sitting next to Grandma. Put your arm around her. Because the next story I'm going to tell, she may get mad at me. Just like you got embarrassed, she may get mad at me. Before I met your Grandma, the love of my life, before I, I met her, uh, I, got, I, got, I got dumped by this girl named Lorraine. And uh, she, she, she dumped me really bad. I had no idea. She had a boyfriend who was getting home from the, the military. And as soon as he, he was dismissed and she came home, she just, she just dumped me. I didn't have even heard about this guy, right? So I, I could have been like, you know, in, in, that, in that year, was that, I think it was like 67. Uh, I, I, was singing, I was singing Paul Lanka's song, I'm Just a Lonely Boy. 
lonely and blue. I'm all alone with nothing to do. I got everything that you could think of, I have, but I don't have someone to love. And that was my prayer. God, give me someone to love. And we were coming up on New Year's Eve. And you know how New Year's Eve is when you don't have a date, you know? So my friends talked me into, my friends talked me into going on a very expensive date with Marianne Blue Eyes. Now, the reason why the guys called her Marianne Blue Eyes was because her name was Marianne and she had blue eyes. (laughs) And Kathy hates me to tell a story about Marianne Blue Eyes. Because she knew her back in school, right? Didn't she go to Wisdom? Yes. Yeah, so. but, but Marianne Blue Eyes, she was a sweet girl, but she was a sandwich short of a picnic. <laughs> and she thought that I was, I, I was not the sharpest tool in the shed. So it was kind of mutual. We just kind of got stuck together, you know. Both didn't have anything to do on New Year's. But it was expensive. I had to buy a suit. We were going out to this really expensive place in Brooklyn. It was like a, a, a nightclub, and it was, you know, dinner and a cover charge and all that. And I said, oh, man. And, and you know what? N- neither one of us had a good time. It wasn't enjoyable. It was expensive. And it was a forgettable experience, except I remember it. <laughs> I remember it as a forgettable experience. About a year later, from 67 going into 68, I had the best New Year's of my life. It's when I met your grandma in November, and I asked her on a date. And, and, and see, the thing is, it didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to buy new clothes. We went to a private party. It was in somebody's house, and I didn't even know this. But Lorraine was there with her boyfriend. And I come walking in with the most beautiful girl in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, the Bronx, and Manhattan on my arm. And I could tell tell you what she was wearing that night down to the boots that she was wearing, to the dress that she was wearing. I mean, she looked amazing. And I said, Lorraine, in your face. It was so good. Beautiful hair is the best for revenge. <laughs> I go. But, but I got to tell you, God the Father has invited us to a celebration, to a party. That, In fact, we don't have to buy a new suit. He's provided the robes of righteousness. In fact, the cover charge has been paid in full by his son, Jesus. And it's a celebration that will last for eternity. And he invites us to come, to come and to, and to dine with him, to come and to sit down and to, to break bread with him. Tony Campola, I don't always agree with everything Tony Campola says, but let me just turn that over. I just ran out of time. Tony Campola is a, is a professor, a sociologist, and he's a preacher. And he tells the story about this one occasion when he was in Honolulu on a speaking engagement, and he couldn't 
fall asleep and he was looking for something to eat. And it was, and it was no place was, was open up at 3.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. But he found a little, a little rusty spoon on a side street that he went into, a real small place with, 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 with a couple of counters and stools and a couple of, a couple of boots. And, and he says it was, it was the kind of place that really deserved the name, Greasy Spoon. He said, he said I was afraid... I was afraid to open up the menu because I didn't. Because I, I, I was afraid that something would crawl out. That's that's the kind of place it was. So the guy, the, he he called him the fat guy behind the counter and said, "So what do you want?" So he says, he says "I'd like a cup of coffee and a donut." He says, "Honestly, he says, I, I know what goes on in the back in the kitchen. You know, if something falls on the ground, they just pick it up and put it back. You know." And he says, "But but when you're out in front, you you, you would want at least you know the, the guy to." To, to grab the donut with a pair of tongs or, or some wax paper. He, he just wiped his greasy hands on his greasy apron and grabbed the, the donut and says, all right. He says, he says, a couple of minutes later, he says, as he's drinking his coffee and eating his donut, the door burst open with about eight or nine ladies of the night come walking in. And they're loud and they're boisterous and they're now sitting on either side of him. And he says, it's about ready for me to check out, right? But there's a conversation that's taking place. He's sitting between these two ladies. And, and one lady says to the other, hey, it's my birthday tomorrow. I'll be 39. And the, and, the, and the lady sitting on his side says, so what do you want me to do about it? What do you want me to do? Throw you a party? Bake you a cake? You, what do you want me to do? And, and, and the girl said, what do you got to be so mean for? She says, I, I'm just saying, it's my, it's my birthday. I don't expect you to throw me a party. I've never had a party in my life. And at that point, when he heard that, he said he decided to stay. A little while later, all of the women went back out. And he asked the guy behind the counter, his name was Harry. He said, he said do all of those women come here every night? He says, like clockwork, they come here every night. He said, the girl that was sitting on, on this side of me. Oh, you mean Agnes? Yeah, it's her birthday tomorrow. How about you and me get together and, and we throw her a birthday party right here in, in, in your restaurant? I'll, I'll, p- I'll, pick up, I'll pick up some decorations and, 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 some, and some stuff. I'll even pick up a birthday cake. And, and this guy, you know, just he liked the idea. He called his wife from the kitchen who did all the cooking. He says, hey, this guy wants to throw a, a birthday party for Agnes. What do you think? And, 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 and she's touched by the idea and says, that would be great. Nobody's ever done anything nice for her. You know? He says, all right, tomorrow I'll come back around 2.30 in the morning and, and I'll, I'll set up the decorations. And two, he, said, he said, somehow word must have gotten out because... Because just about every prostitute in Honolulu was, was in that diner that night. And he says, I, I kind of felt like I was the, the MC, the master of ceremonies, you know. And he says, and, and at 3.30, Agnes comes walking in and everybody just shouted, happy birthday. And he says, I've never seen anybody more shocked or, or more stupefied in my entire life. Her legs became weak and she almost passed out. A couple of the girls helped her to one of the stools and she sat down and she brushed tears back from her eyes. But then she started to cry when she saw, she saw Harry bring out the cake with candles. And, and Harry said, 
Agnes, blow out the candles. And, and she, she, she remained motionless. She couldn't do anything. He said, he said, if you don't blow it out, I'll blow them out. And so he actually, Harry did blow them out. And he wanted to hand her a knife and said, now you got to cut the cake. We all want a piece of cake. And she just stared at the cake for several moments. And she said, could I, could I ask you something? Would it be all right? I mean, if, if, it, if it's okay, can I just keep the cake for a while? And Harry said, yeah, sure. Take it home if you want to. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. And so, can I really do that? She said, he, he said yeah, yeah. So, he, she said, I, I only live down the block. And I'll be back. Honestly, I will. And she goes walking out the door. And everybody in, in the restaurant just stood there in dumb silence as she just left with the birthday cake. So Tony Capola says, in that silence, he says, he just thought it was appropriate. In the midst of all these prostitutes, he said, why don't we just pray for Agnes? And he prayed. And he said, pray for her salvation. And he prayed that God would change her. And pray that God would be good and gracious to her. And he finished. And Harry leaned over the counter and he said, Hey, you didn't tell me you was a preacher. What kind of church do you go to anyway? And he says, in, in that moment, he said, just, the, the thought just came to me. He said, he said I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I go to a church that throws parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning. And he thought about that for a minute. He said, hey, there's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I would join a church like that. I would join a church like that right away. That's probably closer to the kind of church that Jesus came to create. He said that in the verse that we read a little while ago, that the prostitutes and the tax collectors will enter into the kingdom of God before you. Why is that? Because he did not come to condemn the world, but that through him, through his death, through his suffering, we might be saved. Grace is such an amazing enablement that when you see it, it changes you. When we believe and when we receive that we can enter into this celebration that will last forever, we come to discover this simple truth that Jesus is the life of the party. We could say it this way, that Jesus is the life and Jesus is the party. He is the celebration. You know, we, we hear that, that saying during Christmas time, He's the reason for the season. He, he, he is the celebration. There's a simple reason why prostitutes and tax collectors were attracted to Jesus. And you know, his enemies used it as an accusation against him. They said he's the friend of sinners. We wear that today as the badge of reassurance that we are highly favored in the beloved. Because every one of us, the Apostle Paul including, 
even after his conversion, could say, I have not yet apprehended that for which God has laid hold of me. I'm not yet perfect. His plan and mission is to transform us. And the only way that we can be transformed is when we come to him. I love Hebrews chapter 4 says that he is able to save unto the uttermost everyone who makes it their practice to come unto God by him. That's the reason why we come running to his arms. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God. I thank you this morning that you want us to know that life's too short to miss the party. That you indeed have a party and a celebration that will last for eternity. That you're the very life of the party. That he that has the Son has everlasting life and will not come into condemnation. That you were condemned in our place so that we might be free. Free from the penalty of sin, free from the pleasure of sin, free from the power of sin, and ultimately that thing that every one of us long for, that know you and have called upon your name, is that ultimate last deliverance when we will become free from the presence of sin, when sin will be no more, when death and sorrow and sin and all those former things will be no more. Because you said, behold, I make all things new. If you're here this morning and you've never come to Jesus today, I hope, I pray that you will come to Jesus. My prayer for you, like that prayer for Agnes, is that you would know Jesus as your Savior. And that you would experience the change and the transformation of what grace can do for you. Amen.